to uh, Benny and Gilbert. Make music well, don't they? Yes. To God be the glory. Yes. Let's take your Bibles uh, this morning and turn to the book of Acts. <clears throat> Continue on in our journey. Um, following essentially Paul and Silas's second missionary journey. Find this continuation here in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Um, those of you that have been here the last number of weeks, uh, last week we ended in Philippi. Today we see the travels continuing to go forward into Europe. And we'll begin reading now at verse 1, chapter 17 of Acts. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few, but the Jews." which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a, co a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. When they had found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. When they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city woefully given to idolatry. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us now just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, again, thank you for a beautiful day when we can surround this place with single-mindedness and worshiping you. Father, it's been done in song. It's been done in praising your name through prayer. Father, as we lift you up by reading the scripture. Now, Father, bless us through the Holy Spirit exclusively teaching us from the word, giving us true words of life. Expand, Father. Show yourself as you've never shown us before. May the Spirit rise up to the very inner depths of ourselves that we may see life at a higher level. For you are light. You are life. You created life. Father, we're here because of you. Manifest yourself, Father. 
We thank you for those that have come out this after this morning as well, Father, and to seeing their tenacity and wanting to worship and uplift your name. Father, we'll pray for the days coming ahead, for our world, our country, our families, our communities. Father, we would have courage to remain strong, to look to you for power and understanding. Now, Father, these moments are yours to do with us as you please using the word to change us from the inside out so we would look a little bit more like your son. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, we find ourselves again in Acts, the bridge, the bridge work that literally gives a lot of life, interestingly enough. Laramie, I'll maybe we'll put our map back on the board. It's almost becoming fixed in your mind probably at this point. But interestingly enough, um, these travels, these journeys that we're able to, to basically look over the globe. Even last week, we were able to use that short stint. Four men that went to town, city of Philippi. Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timotheus. And you may have read Philippians numerous times. You may have studied Philippians numerous times. But isn't it interesting when you start to see what actually literally happened in that little town? I shouldn't say little town. It was a rather large town of Philippi. Paul was not there very long at all, but he encountered a woman by the river at a prayer meeting. That's where the church started. And then he ended up following God's will, ended up in prison. And he said, whoa, yeah, exactly. The jailer and his family were saved because Paul was obedient to rejoicing God at all times. Philippians chapter 4, we looked at that, and it's, shall we say, a corollary or a parallel passage to really what they were doing in Philippi. In reminding you of that, if you slip into the shoes of Paul and Silas, and you've now just hurriedly left the city of Philippi, which is the first place that you've encountered in Europe, and it hasn't really been exactly easy. There's a little town, that that little dot right there, Philippi. So far, they've landed in Europe and Macedonia, no one there. One place. One time. They've been there for a short time. They've been in prison. They've been beaten. Literally, what would you do when you were leaving Philippi? Now, the magistrates, if you remember how we left you last time, was they had told them to leave. To which Paul said, just a second... Just, just a second. Why don't you have those two guys, the magistrates of a Roman colony? There was two particular leaders that would be in charge of the city. They were the ones that made this decision. When Paul came back to the policemen or the, the lictors that had beaten them, literally, and said, no, I want those two guys to come back and tell us that because you guys beat a Roman citizen. Oh, my goodness. The fear would have reverberated through the entire upper levels of council within that city. And Paul said, I'm not going anywhere until those two guys tell us to leave. As they came, I can't imagine how much softer the approach would have been to that little church now. And again, it would have been little started from nothing. There wasn't even a synagogue within the city of Philippi, which took just 10 Jewish men. was not even one of those. And now, as Paul is leaving Philippi, how much safer could it be than to say, you guys beat a Roman citizen? That's our little church. Pay attention. 
How much safer could it have been for him to leave town? But now you're Paul leaving town. And you're visiting and you're walking. Now it tells us from the first verse uh, that we read that literally it would have went from uh, Philippi to Amphipolis. And then there should be another, ah, there it is, Apollonia. Okay? They're about 35, 30 to 35 miles apart. So it would almost be like a day's journey, if you will. And probably even did it by horseback. It's hard to say. But from Philippi to Thessalonica, their next stop, this is where Paul wanted to go next, was 100 miles. Okay? Now, 100 miles to us is rather quickly. It goes rather quick. Uh, what is it? From here to Bozeman is 90 miles, right? Hour and a half, if you're in a really big hurry, I would not want to tell you how fast I went to the airport. But at any rate, very, very different. Probably like a three, four-day journey. Going to Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica, um, 200,000 people. 200,000 people. Probably very little had been spread about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, so far, if you've been following along, um, Paul, had, in fact, he says, as he was prone to do. He, he gets to Thessalonica, and he does what he's always done, and he steps into the synagogue. Like he's always done. Now, again, keep in mind, this is Europe. This is Macedonia. What has been the common denominator every single place that Paul has went to a synagogue? What has happened? He teaches. And then what happens? He stirs them up. And then what happens? There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of persecution, isn't there? So I'm wondering, as they're traveling to these, and they, it's just the little stopping points between uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, is... I wonder if we should do it different. Maybe we should do it different. Let's just take it easy. In fact, I wonder if some of the travelers that were with Paul would have said, Paul, let, let's, let's just take it the easy way now. How do we respond in our world that we come to when you get in a conversation? Uh, maybe I shouldn't talk about that right now. Paul never changed course ever. There's things that were said of him. Now, again, I want to say, he was probably just a few short weeks when in Philippi, and he ends up in Thessalonica. This is his second stop in the entire Macedonian Empire, if you will. And look what happens. There are men, Jews, nonetheless, and isn't it amazing? God's enemies oftentimes are labeled of infiltration from the enemy from the inside. Look at this. <clears throat> this is the verse I want us to get a handle on today. Uh, and I'm jumping ahead in verse 6. When they found them not, in other words, there's the Jews. The first, let's read verse 5. But the Jews, which believe not, these are unbelievers. They were moved with envy. They were upset with what had taken place. There were people literally that were becoming Christians that they couldn't control or were not part of their group. They took into lewd fellows, a baser sort, gathered a, a company, set all the city in uproar, and insulted the house of Jason and, and sought to bring them out of the temple. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city. Now they've drugged Jason, which we'll talk about him in a moment. And they go down and they say this. These that have turned the world upside down have come here too. What? He was only in one place. He was in Philippi for a short period of time. And they said, this guy has turned the world upside down. My question to you, are you turning your world upside down for Christ? 
Now, in an upside-down world, which is, that, is really what the planet became after sin entered, uh, when you have an evil world, an evil system, an evil society of which Satan is running, it, he's called the prince of the power of the air. There's a time that that's going to change. I can't get into it too much, but doing some study about uh, in Revelation chapter 12, from it's 12 through 14 is a section that talks about in Revelation from Satan's perspective. It talks about the Antichrist, it talks about the false prophet, it talks about Satan himself, that literally he and a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven. They fell, if the word was, from the beginning because he thought himself to be God. At the very end, in Revelation chapter 12, and I'm talking to the midpoint of the tribulation, it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, 9 and 10, that he will be thrown down to the earth. That's his final sentencing, if you will, prior to his going to hell. That's his last stop, if you will, before going to hell. I'm still wrong. He gets to get locked up for a thousand years while the rest of the, the place is living in a kingdom age, the millennium. But after that, he's released for a short time, and then he's thrown into as the third inhabitant of hell. The hell that hasn't, does not have an inhabitant today. Everyone that's dead that does not know Christ is in Hades today. The ultimate everlasting fire will be consumed, or will be inhabited first by the false prophet and the Antichrist, and then Satan himself after the millennium will be going there. That's who it was created for, by the way. God didn't send anyone to hell. He didn't create hell for unbelievers. He created hell for Satan and his angels. But if you want to be like Satan and his angels, that's where you go. But thinking of this, Satan has access, a reasonable access yet to the heavenlies. We know from Job chapter 1. He was cruising around the earth and He's actually in company of God. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? So we know he's there. He's looking around. But can you imagine in Revelation chapter 12, in the middle of the tribulation thereabouts, when he literally, that's it. It says the battle began. A battle began. That's been going on for a long time. But you remember when there was the, I'm getting a little bit off track here. This is a rabbit hole. Are you okay with this? Hopefully we can circle back. Tell me to get back to our text. But at any rate, do you remember how Satan wanted to take the body of Moses? Tried to stop Michael from taking the body of Moses. I don't know what Satan was going to do with it. But there was a sense of restricting or, or stopping. Remember when Daniel had a prayer? He spoke to God. And the answer came three weeks later. Three weeks later. Because the angel that was delivering the message to Daniel was held up by the prince of Persia. And you don't think there's stuff going on out there in the unseen world? There's a war going on. Satan is spending a lot of his time accusing the brethren. That's what Revelation chapter 12 tells us, that he day and night accuses. I got, we have to go there for just a second. Let's, just, let's, get, let's get to Revelation, because this is, this is so true. This is so right. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. 
He's accusing you. He's accusing me. But on that day, he will be cast down to earth. Now, I don't know if you can even imagine how difficult that will be now. He cannot, he does not have access anymore to the heavens. He will be thrown to the earth and his demons. Now, again, I can't begin to tell you how horrible it will be during that last half of the tribulation. He knows his time is short, and he is bringing everything against, particularly, the nation Israel. All of those that would call God, God. He is bringing everything against them. That's the same Satan that is bringing a conflict to a new entrance of the gospel in Macedonia. He is just as upset. But guess what? What was the difference? How do you make a difference? How do you turn your world upside down? I would have to say, especially for, I'm thinking of young people who are getting out of high school, getting out of college. I mean, they are ready to do something, right? They want to take the world by force. And they usually find out it's not as easy as they thought. It's amazing on at 16, you know everything. And by 26, you're thinking, ah, I don't know very much. And you get to be my age, and it's like, wow. Where did it go? Isn't it true? So how do you make a difference? Literally, that's what Paul and Silas were about to do. That's what they were doing. That was their job. And the first thing it takes, it's for you as well. There's four, I don't know how far we'll get today. But the first thing that takes, absolutely, to change the world. To, and, and from their perspective, if you're in an evil world, an evil person, evil, you know, you get along pretty well, don't you? You get along pretty well. I was sadly reading a story. There's a, there's a man, I'm going to just leave his name as Bruce. I don't know why I got on this today. I was chasing something else. But I want us to pray for Bruce. You don't know Bruce, but Bruce lives in Ohio. Bruce was a pastor of, in his description, evangelical churches for 25 years. He has a wife of 44 years. He's 66. He has six children. I don't remember how, grand, how many grandchildren. In 2006, he walked away from the church. Today, on a self-proclaimed blog, he says that he is an atheist. What went wrong? What went wrong? The interesting part is that those that are following this blog and are following along, uh, most of them are praiseworthy of him because it seems like life has gotten better. That's what they say. I'm here to tell you this. Evil person, in evil world, it's smooth sailing. There's no conflict. Satan already has you where he wants you. You want to throw conflict? You want to get confrontation? Throw the gospel into the situation. And it's interesting, I was, again, looking at some of the blogs from a Christian that would, would have entered in did a discussion with our friend Bruce, because that would be my, there was, there was only three words I came up with, because he knew his Bible. I carefully say that, I have quotes around it. But one thing he cannot refute is, God loves you. He can say anything he wants to say, and Jesus Christ died for his sins. I'm not here to be his judge. I don't know. He says he's trusted Christ, and that means he's the worst thing possible for a Christian, is the fact that he's still saved, even though I don't want to be. I am not. I am an atheist. Now, it's hard for me to get there. There's no words that I can offer. 
But I have a God that's far superior to anything that Bruce could even possibly imagine. I've said this before, and I would like to, I'd actually, will I get in a dialogue with Bruce? I don't know. It usually goes nowhere because they've already have a slanted position of where they want to be. But one of the things I would like to ask is this. Anyone that proclaims himself to be an atheist is someone that must have been everywhere in the universe. They must have lived a lot longer than anyone else. They must know everything about everything to know that there couldn't be a God, because that's the position. There is no God. And Bruce, on the small chance that you would have picked up on me today, I'm here to tell you, you can't be an atheist because you are not capable of saying there's no God in this place. My prayer is that Bruce, I'm not, I don't even know if I'm going to say return. I'm just hoping he finds the Jesus Christ that died for him in the scriptures. He could, he could run verses up and down and all he would say, when someone would give something of verses, he would, his response was, sigh, he'd heard it all. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? That's a scary place to be. But I want to, my goal, and your goals if you're in Christ, is to take this society, this crazy place we find, and turn it upside right. <laughs> because that's what the people got wrong. They said he, Paul turned it upside down. He turned it upside right. How do we do that? There are several things in this passage that seem to be almost circular in reasoning and how it goes, but one that really counted immediately is the fact of watching how they responded. Second stop in Macedonia, Thessalonica, and here come the Jews. It takes courage. It takes courage. You tell me, let's, let's talk about courage for a moment. What is courage? Someone would say the absence of fear. What is courage? And, and I'm talking from a biblical standpoint. I've, you know, you can hear a lot of definitions. I, I didn't look up the Webster's. I didn't look through that. But a lot of it has to do with, you know, uh, probably patriotism. And I can't tell you how much I respect the men and women that have given their lives to protect or to liberate our country that God has blessed so richly. Veterans Day. Those men and women that are residing in a grave, giving their lives. Would you give your lives for Jesus Christ? See, their, their lives made a difference. Many, I don't know their names. But we're here as living proof that freedom was purchased. Jesus Christ purchased our spiritual freedom. How committed are we to that? How courageous can we be? And literally, courage is just that, confidence in God. A spiritual definition of, of, of courage is confidence in God. Was Paul courageous? I should have heard a resounding. I mean, you should, I, should hear head, I should hear head shaking. He was amazing, wasn't he? He never shirked any possible place of where there could be, uh, let's take a different route. That one looks dangerous. No, that's the one we take because that's where we're going to get the most upside down right. That's the most righteousness we can pump into it. And a, real, and a synagogue is a wonderful place to start because he was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He knew they would crack open the Old Testament scriptures. 
what a great place to start. Because it's amazing, just in our world, I talk about, it hit me today, uh, the fact that so much of our great nation knows so little about the Bible anymore, knows so little about Jesus Christ, knows so little about God. We just float along. They say there's three kinds of people. There are those that watch things happen. There are those that make things happen. And then there are those that don't know what happened. (laughs) It's pretty true, isn't it? Paul would have been ones that made things happen. He was courageous. He stepped right into it. He was confident in God. Let's go to uh, Psalm chapter 27 for a moment. Psalm chapter 27. David, he got himself in a pickle or two. Wasn't easy. Psalm chapter 27. Let's take a look. The Lord is, verse 1, Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What a great way to start a psalm. I start that way in the morning. What do I need to be afraid of today? Exactly. Nothing. If you want to get a whole list of things that you're really not going to be separated from the love of God, go to Romans chapter 8. Boom, it's there. You can name any problem that you have thought of, thought you could have, anything that you could even imagine having, and beyond. And guess what? The love of God is beyond that. You cannot be separated from the love of God if you're in Christ. You can't be. It can't happen. can't happen. Because I'm going to ask this. If you knew in the future that whatever it was that you were going to do, you would win. There would be joy. There would be blessing. Would you do that? Of course you would, right? So those of you that are maybe football players, basketball players, coach teams, been involved in athletics, a lot of the things that they do is they'll look at game films after the fact. Some of those are hard to watch. But what if you could actually have instant replay before it happened? Do you know what, my friends? That's exactly what the Christian life is all about. Because we know what happens in the end. It's not like it's these dueling forces that we don't know who's going to win. We don't know, is evil going to win? Is, is good going to win? Is God going to win or is Satan going to win? It's this, it's this yin-yang, right? Whatever you want to tie to it. No, a thousand times no. We win! Why don't we live like it? Because there's too much pressure. There's too much whatever. I, you, it's in your, someone has said the more you witness, the easier it gets. That's baloney. That's baloney, I'm here to say. Do I witness enough? No, I don't. Why? I want to be more like Paul. I'm sure there would have been about six or seven or eight or nine other ways if he would have had a committee and said, what would be the best way now after knowing what's going on in the first missionary journey, what's happened in Macedonia at Philippi, and we ended up in stocks, and we ended up beaten, and at midnight we're singing praises to God, and God opens the place up, and the jailer gets saved, and we got a new journey. I'll tell you what, though, I don't know if I like the, the method there exactly. Wouldn't it be a little bit easier some other way? Never. 
Never. There was only one way with Paul. Straight ahead and find where it looks like the most resistance is. That's where we're going to go. Now, carefully, carefully, don't leave this place today and say that it's Paul's confrontation that was the ticket. No, no. No, 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 no. Because there's another thing that's important beyond courage. We're going to come back to that. We're going to kind of infiltrate a couple of these things as we go along. But it wasn't Paul's personality that won them over. And it's interesting. They were believers, right? He goes in there and he's reasoning with them. He's, he's literally deliberating with them from the Old Testament. And in the synagogue, he would have had a background. He would have had a back basis, if you will. He could begin to teach from there and they would know what he was talking about. That's what Jesus did. So he wasn't even fluid at that. The woman at the well versus the woman caught in adultery versus the Pharisees that are the know-it-all hoity-toities. He never started at the same place with each one of those. He started where those people needed to be touched. Boy, if we could learn that, right? Paul's approach was always trying to figure out where that person is at. In the Jewish synagogue, it was easy. It was a place to start because they would have respected the Old Testament. One of the things that blew my mind, even in this week, was how little the Jews know about the Scriptures. Now, if you are traveling around with Jesus, you're one of the disciples, and you're walking with Him for three years, and you're coming down, winding down the end of this, and in Matthew chapter 16, let's go ahead and go to that passage, because it's so interesting for me to see that as followers, disciples of Jesus who became leaders in the church, how little they knew of their Messiah. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Let's have a look. Something is said in regards to, or Jesus asks a question. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked of his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Well, that's all good. He said unto them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, if you were a Jew and you heard that, the word Christ is the key component because Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. So what did Peter just say? He said, you, Jesus, are the Messiah. Now that's earth shaking. That's shattering of a lot of things. When just stating that in the common, or what I would say in a public place that Jesus is the Christ. Whoa, that's a statement. But I want you to hold your place there. Flip back to Acts, and let's look and see, not only did Paul have courage, he had content. Verse 2 of Acts chapter 17, we read, And Paul, as his manner was, he went in unto them, and three Sabbath days, for three weeks, he reasoned with them out of his vast scope of knowledge of being a Pharisee. What does it say? Out of the Scriptures. Out of the scriptures. He reasoned to them out of the scriptures. Let's keep going. 
opening and alleging that Christ, that's the Messiah, same word we found in Matthew, must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. That is a really a big synopsis of really what was all taking place over the course of three Sabbaths of him proving that Christ was Jesus. That Christ, the Messiah, was Jesus. Now, how did he do that? Did he go to the Philippians? Did he go to Ephesians? Did he go to Romans? Did he go, where did he go? The Old Testament. Now, I want you to show, I want to show you something now. You would think if you were in the Old Testament, Isaiah being there, in fact, maybe some of you have Jewish friends. How would you get a Jewish friend to acknowledge or who is the Messiah? Tell me about, now, don't, don't even make the Christ equal to Jesus yet. Tell me what the Christ looks like in the Old Testament's prophecies. Where would you do that? Well, I want to show you how backed up the disciples were after, I mean, you just heard this. You're the Christ. Christ equals Jesus is equal to Christ equals the Messiah. That's a big statement. Watch this. Let's go back now to Matthew chapter 16. And let's read. In fact, I'm I'm going to leave the the beginning of the church in that. I'm going to leave that out. But in verse 21, this is, I mean, it's just sequential. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Okay? Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not be unto you. In other words, you know what? He doesn't even know from Isaiah or from Psalms that the Messiah will be crucified and that he will be risen again. He will be resurrected. Didn't even know that. Didn't even know that. Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? This is after Jesus Christ has been crucified and buried. They were depressed. Jesus joins them. I wonder if that would have been like. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Where are you going? What's up? Boy, you look down. You know, they're dragging their feet, you know, wearing their soles off in their shoes, sandals. What's going on? You know, I'll try to be brief. You didn't, you didn't hear about Jesus? The, you know, the, he's dead. He's crucified. Our world is done. And what does it say? He went to the scriptures and showed them the Messiah. If you have a Jewish friend and you want them to see that literally they're Messiah. See, they can't make Messiah Christ equal Jesus. They can't do that. How do you make that happen? Well, Jesus is the one that fits all of the prophecies that make him the Messiah. But they don't even know what the Messiah is supposed to happen because what were the disciples thinking of even on the night that they were communing around their last supper, their last time together, was the coming kingdom. They missed the Messiah suffering. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. That's your homework for this afternoon. Isaiah 50 is so rich in the sense of a suffering, crucified, dead Messiah because he had to pay the price. Why do you think the sacrificial system happened when God gave the law? He didn't give a law to give us a law. The law was given so we knew we couldn't keep it. In case you haven't noticed, the law condemns us. It doesn't give us life. But it was a picture of what had to happen. You had to come to God perfect. There was only one who could fill that, fulfill that. They're in Egypt, leaving town. That's why the lamb, the Passover lamb, was what was offered on the doorpost for the angel of death to pass by. That's why if you don't have Jesus Christ's blood, 
that you're protected by, that you've trusted his grace through faith, you're not free. You're not at liberty. That's the God of the Old Testament. You see, it's not just about courage. You can bring a courage game, can't you? You can step it up. But if you don't have the right content, you're going nowhere. If it's not about Jesus, if it's not about literally what he accomplished, it's not enough. It's not enough. Coming back to courage, though, there's not only the sense of having trust in God. That's the first and foremost. We're going to be spending some time in Joshua chapter 1 as well. Again, what what a picture. I'm going, to, I'm going to hold that thought for just a moment. But let's say you're looking for courage. How, do, how, how can I have this courage? Well, the more that you have trust in God, the higher your level of confidence in him. No trust, no courage. That's how it works. But something that can hold you back, that can hinder you, is in the fact of, is there sin in your life? Unconfessed sin in your life. Now, again, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, there's... Good news, bad news. The good news is that you're saved forever. You're in his, you've been placed in his blood. You have been saved by him. The bad news is, is you still sin. How many of you didn't sin this week? If you said you didn't, you just sinned. (laughs) Right? But the good news is, as in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, is he is faithful to forgive us our sins if we confess them to him. One of the things that bring more courage in your life is to make sure your life is pure. Didn't say perfect. You may have to do confession regularly. Because it's interesting, the more pure your life gets, the more you're plagued and bothered by sin in your life. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you don't even know sin's a problem. Honestly, you don't even want to be talked about. Leave me alone. Don't judge me. I don't want any of that. You're a judge already. Wages of sin is death. You folks talk about a payday. There's a payday for sin. It's one of the things I talk at funerals. The wages of sin is death. There's a death. That's part of the sin wage. When Adam and Eve threw out God and took self on board, there was results. There was consequences of that. It was death because of sin. That's what Jesus came to take care of. He's the one that got it done. And when you're a Christian walking through life, you want more courage? When there is a sin that is risen, it rises. And it's amazing, isn't it? Won't go away. Ding, 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 ding. It's always knocking on that door. What are you going to do about me? What are you going to do about me? Jesus says, what are you going to do about that? Confess it before him. Courage becomes stronger the more you trust in God. Here's another one, the third one in the sense of courage being enacted in your life. Paul was always thankful, wasn't he? Do you know Thanksgiving actually encourages, I'm sorry, strengthens courage? Let's take a look at that in Acts chapter 28, verse 15. Let's take a look. Acts chapter 28, verse 15. Acts 28, 15. He's in Rome. It says, And from thence when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as the Appi Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. 
You want to instill yourself with another dose of courage? Be thankful for your situation. What did we learn last week? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But if it's in your strength, you will fail miserably. How many of you are trying to live the Christian life on your own strength? I wouldn't even say good luck. It's not going to work. Get over it. Stop right now. Stop! If you're putting on the armor of God, there's another good verse. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Verse 10, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Be there in a second. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in yourself, in the power of your might. <laughs> Woo! How can we try that? How can we try that? It's in His, it's in Him and in the power of His might. Content. Courage. How much do you study the Word? Content, obviously, is the Word of God. We see Paul never, ever strayed from that. He said, you know, I think I'm going to, I think this time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about philosophy. I'm going to bring philosophy. And I think these guys, particularly right here where they're all into the Greek side of things, they really, they understand a lot of philosophy. So I'm going to try to philosophize. No, he never, 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 never. What did he do? Every single time, it was out of the Scriptures. His content was out of the Scriptures. Out of the Scriptures. So how do you get good at the Scriptures? Now, you've noticed he was rehearsing. He was debating, if you will. He was dialoguing with them in the synagogue. It was like a question and answer. Someone that There's no better way for someone to find Christ than to have questions. When you're asking questions, you're ready to receive answers. How did he do that? Does that make you uncomfortable? I don't know the answers to a lot of stuff, right? Is there a shortcut? How to know the Bible in two hours. Don't buy it. <laughs> yeah. Is there one of those Bibles for dummies or something? I don't think. No, because you can't do it that way. That book would have to be that thick. So how do you get good at the Bible? This isn't hard now. Study it. Study it. How do you learn about physics in high school, guys? You read? You, oh, you don't know. <laughs> I scared her to death, actually. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to scare anyone, but you know what? In any subject you're, in, you're in, 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 uh, dabbling in or being in, you've you got to study it. You've got to study it, right? There's no shortcuts. You want to know about the Word of God? Read the Word of God. Sorry, I've said it. I'm going to say it one more time, but there was a, a lady I was engaged with, not, I mean, engaged in conversation. <laughs> well, I could have gotten a lot of trouble there pretty quickly. There's only one I've ever been engaged to, and we're married, right? Okay, so let's, let's get right through that one. Engaged in conversation, and she came across saying that the Bible is, it's, it's, it's a joke. I said, no, it's really the only source of truth we have. No, and then she had some of these favorite little verses that you could just take out of context you know, that fathers divided from wives and wives from mothers. And, you know, that, that went, or she's very divisive. That's, that's what the Bible says about Jesus. I said, well, you, you need to keep it in context. And I said, have you read the Bible? Well, no, I've never read it. <laughs> read it. <laughs> read it. Read a, a story of a, of a man and wife um, of means 
that it was like, it was almost like, remember our gal in, uh, that was from Thyatira and she's in Philippi and gets saved? She was searching for God. Someone gave him a Bible. He said, I'll, I, uh, I dare you to read it. The guy got in a room and for 80 hours straight just read the Bible. He comes out and he says to his wife, that's true. They were saved. That's the power of the word of God when you come unbiased. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why Paul always used the word to, re to, to really reason with the people. What happened in Berea? Our time is slipping away from us. So Thessalonica, you can about to see what happens next. You have courage. You have conflict. You're going to have converts, right? People are going to trust. They're going to believe Christ. Then what happens after that? Every single time comes conflict. Here it comes. Wide open. Conflict. Let's go to Acts. Opening and alleging, verse 3, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Some of them believed. There it is. Converts consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. So we have Jews that believe. We have a great deal of Greeks and, a, and chief women, and not a few. It means a large group. This thing is changing quickly. Three weeks, three Sabbaths, and you already can see the church going crazy. But the Jews, which believe not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Now that's the King James way of saying they were the local hoods. These were guys that were just looking for trouble. It would almost be, a, and if you followed it in the last several years in our country, maybe every country, and you, you want to start a riot, they actually are moving people, they're hiring people to do that. These are these kind of guys. They have nothing in, no skin in the game, but they can be bought for anything. They're there to do an evil job. They're going to bring these guys before the city council, if you will. And he said they gathered them up, company, they set the city in an uproar, assaulted the house of Jason. He was probably a new convert and sought to bring them out to the people. Well, Paul and, Barnab I'm sorry, Paul and Silas are gone. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come here too. They've come here too. Conflict is there. Now it says, whom Jason hath received, in other words, Jason's the whole problem, he's received these into his home. These all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Two things they come with is they're causing riots. Who caused the riot? Did you follow the BLM thing? Black Lives Matter? There's a lot of what going on in that. There's a lot of rioting. There's a lot of stealing. There's a lot of uproar. There's a lot of things, and you know, if, I'm still wondering, if you could ask them what it's all about, I don't think they could, they could tell you. They don't even know. That's how riots are. We have these local hoods that have brought Jason and his crew down there to the city council, and they're going to do some business. These guys have flipped the world upside down. What are we going to do about it? Well, actually, in verse 8, it says, They troubled the people, the rulers of the city, when they heard these signs. When they had taken a security of Jason of others, they let them go. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what that means? In other words, Jason had to put up a bond that Paul and Silas are going to have to leave town or they're going to forfeit this money. Is it worth it? Did you notice that Paul wasn't popular by the world, right? It says immediately they left. Now, 
Is that little town on there? Yeah, there it is. Look at that. Good deal. So about 50 miles away, very much out of the way, from Thessalonica is this little town called Berea. Now, as Thessalonica was a major city, Berea was a nothing place. It would have been a little spot in the road, often out of the way. But there were people there that were commended for being studied. They were studying the Word of God carefully. Now, have you been called a Berean? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because literally, they took the Scriptures and they saw if what Paul was saying was true. How many times do you hear something? Maybe read it on the Internet. Maybe see it in written form. And you say, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. i got to check that out. i got to check that out. Are you that person? Oh, by the way, one more step. How do you check it out? We'll get on another, another line on, the, on uh, Wikipedia. No, 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 a thousand times no. What are you checking it out by? The Bible. That is fantastic. You should be doing that with me. What I say, you should go home and say, I wonder, where did, is that in the Bible? Did, I mean, like these, these references you're taking out? Do you read them? Do you see them? Do you look? Because that's where the source of truth is today. That's the only place you can really find the truth is in the Bible. The Bereans were receiving it. Look at this. This is a mental state. It isn't something emotional. Watch. Verse 10, the, the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Oh, he did it again. Are you kidding me? He's been run out of another town. Shouldn't we start on the other side of this? Let's stay away from the Jews for a second. Nope. He's going right where the action's at. Right where the action at. He's turning the world upside right. That's hard to even say, you know what? <laughs> These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, verse 11, and they received the word with all readiness of mind, all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea. They came hither also and stirred up the people. What do we have? Something is really funny back there, which is really good. I love it. Oh, by the way, this, this is a great, you know what? This is great. This is fantastic. This is what the church body's about. Okay? I don't know. Some of you may know or some of you don't know, but we're, we're trying to finish the floor. Paul is that guy, actually. And, and, and probably we should surround him because I'll tell you, when the floor is finished in that little office, that's where we're going to have a Sunday school. And I can't wait. I've been... This is 24 years that I've stood in front of you, and that's been something I've always wanted. We're getting close. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? Because, see, when you want to turn the world upside right, you do it with the little children. You want to make little Pauls, right? I want to make little Pauls and Paulettes. I can't, the Silas thing, I can't get there. <laughs> Silas, that's, no, I can't get it. But you know what? That's just how Jesus was. As complicated as life was in the world that Jesus was there, all of the tragedies, all of the problems, all of the things, he was healing. You know what? I still say I can just see the joy in his face without even seeing it. Let the little children come on to me. Isn't that what this is about? That's what this is about. Are you making a difference today? Is there courage in your life? I want to take you to Joshua for a moment. As you're turning to Joshua chapter 1, there's something there that I want to set it up for you. We don't have the, sometimes the context changes, and we don't really know what went on. 
Joshua was like the lieutenant, if you will. Joshua was an underling to a man that was very well known to the Jewish people, and his name was Moses. Uh, Moses, in the eyes of the Jews, was amazing. And he finally died. Now, Moses' job had been to take the Egypt, I'm sorry, to take the Israelites out of Egypt. They'd been there about 400 years. Moses is gathering them up. And now, was Moses perfect? Oh, not even close. <laughs> That's what kept him out of the promised land. Because he took control again himself, right? At 40 years of age, he said, okay, I've been raised in Pharaoh's camp. I see my people, the Israelites, are being completely maligned. I'm going to take them out of here. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't do that. Don't beat up that Egyptian or that Israelite. Boom, knocks him down, kills him. He's a murderer. The next day he says to the two Israelites that are fighting, what are you doing? Oh, you're going to kill us too? That's a pretty good sign that it's went through the ranks. Zoom, takes off, sherds, sherds, sherds sheep, yeah, Shh, herds sheep. Oh, did that mess me up? Herded sheep. He didn't sherd heap. He's herding sheep. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it for 40 years. How many of you have herded sheep? Nice. And you know what? Jesus liked sheep, didn't he? Aren't we like sheep? Yeah. Easy to go astray. It takes a special person to be a shepherd of sheep. Why do you think God said, oh, Moses, Moses, Moses. Buddy, Pharaoh's house was one place, but I'm going to take you over here, and I'm going to have you herd sheep for 40 years because I want you to take my people out of Egypt, and you've got to be ready to do that, and that's the only way I can get you to do that. Why was it said of Moses he was the meekest man? Because he learned how to herd sheep. But then go, let's keep going. He never had the possibility of the. He did have the possibility, but he didn't follow God's direction as Peter has shown. He hit the rock when he wasn't supposed to. And you say, well, that's a little judgmental. Well, Moses is just as safe in the arms of God as anyone. But they didn't go to the promised land. Whose job was that? Joshua. Joshua would have always been able to go to Moses. Moses, what do you think? He probably went for discussion about his family. Certainly, he made no decisions militarily. That was all about Moses. And now Moses is gone. He's dead. And you're the guy in charge. Have you been in that position before? Well, not to lead the Israelites, but in a place that all of a sudden... All of that is falling on you, the responsibility, and it's overwhelming. How am I going to do this? And you'd watched Moses, the man that God had led to do all of these magnificent things, going through the desert, and the people are learning, and they're stumbling, and they're learning. And it's just this cycle, right? And now, all of a sudden, God wants you, Joshua, to take those people into the promised land. I want to read for you what God told Joshua. What would be the message that Joshua needs to hear. It's the same things we need to hear today. I'm going to start in verse 6. Now I'm going to start in verse 4. Joshua chapter 1, you're welcome to go if you'd like or listen. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. 
I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. If you're a Christian here today, that is you've trusted Christ as Savior, something has happened that can never be changed. The Holy Spirit lives within you. God lives within you. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand nor to the left. That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth and thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then... Thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have a good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Man, you know what? He's saying the same thing to us today. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You got a big job? I'm a big God. You need strength? Got as much as you need and more. There's nothing that you need that I can't provide if you look to me. That's the message from God. You want to turn your world upside right? We're going to turn to Isaiah to close. Isaiah chapter 40. Have you ever, if you watch birds fly, there's some that really work at it. A hummingbird? Whoa, they make me tired. Those little buggers are just rolling. And they can do weird things. You know, they can do cool things. They can, just doop, 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 doop. they can do anything, right? But they do it through flapping, very fast flapping, a lot of flapping. Heart rate is immensely high because they're working hard at it, okay? Um, you can be a hummingbird. I don't recommend it. <laughs> and I'm talking spiritually. And I'm talking about your lives, right? It'd be cutesy. And did you notice the faster... The hummingbirds go, the meaner they are. Do you, you guys have those hummingbird feeders out there by your house? They're fun to watch, aren't they? They're mean little buggers. I mean, they're going for it. This is mine. No, this is mine. And you can just, you can, I mean, it's just, ah, that's like the Christian church trying to do it on their own strength. Flapping, 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 right? And then there's those, I was watching, we had, a, well, I was commenting in Annas yesterday and the wind was, let's just say it was, it was moving, so here are these ravens, they're kind of, we're combo, I'm combining, and once in a while there'll be a mouse that, you know, comes out, out in the open, and away they go. They get it. And I watched them, and it was more of a gliding thing, right? He, the, this raven, or not a raven, but ravens, I would see them on my, right beside my combine window, and they're like right there, and they're just, they're just hooking the wind, and they're not, and they're just into it, and they're just hanging out, right? Not working very hard. But they're not going anywhere either. Eventually, just this land. The birds that always fascinate me are like the eagles. Those ones that can catch up and get above a heat current. And they glide. No, 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 I got that all wrong. Oh, they're soaring. They are soaring. Gliding is just, you eventually you don't do anything and you finally just come down, right? Soaring is to just maintain that level. And they're doing it at a level that is so elegant, so magnificent. But what they've done is they've mastered the outside elements and using them to their fullest potential. 
They're not floundering. They're soaring. That's what God's strength is for us. He wants you to soar like eagles. He wants you to have the courage of Paul. He wants you to have the contact from the Word of God. When that conflict comes, you know what? And the one thing that was really interesting to me is the fact that Paul was always concerned for his fellow mankind. There's probably one more verse we're going to have to close with after this one because I was just thinking of it. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. I want you to think of soaring now. Soaring, chapter 40 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Let's take a look at this description. What? <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 and 29. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, trusting in Him, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In every phase of your life, literally, God is the one that gives you strength. He's the one that allows you to soar over this mess that we call this society in which Satan is rampantly destroying and dissolving it. We're headed to the end quickly. But it's time for us to turn the world upside right. Paul was in one place and he went to the second place and they've already noticed this guy, is a, he's a hitter. He's doing stuff we don't agree with, but tell you what, you talk about change the world, God wants you to change your world. Just one person at a time. He does the work. He gives you the strength to accomplish it. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 13. Let's go there and we'll close here. John chapter 13. John 13. <clears throat> John 13. He's talking about his departure. We'll start in verse 31. When he was gone out, oh, guess where they're at? Guess where they're at? They're here at this last time they've been together. Okay? And Judas has just went out, Judas Iscariot. He's saying, therefore, when he was gone out, he, that was Judas Iscariot, God, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, listen closely. This is, the, these dear ones, listen. Yet a little while I'm with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, listen, this, listen guys, this is it. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples and if you have loved one for another. Do you know what drove Paul so amazing with courage and content? Was his love for his fellow brethren. Is that what's driving us? Is love driving us? Are we ready to take the world on? Not in your strength, in God's strength. Make sure you have the right content. Don't be amazed when conflict comes. I'm going to play this one more time. You're in Philippi. It didn't go well. Couldn't even find any place to meet. You're down at the river. You get one lady converted in her household. You end up in prison. You're in stocks. It's a miserable night, but you're still praising God because he's in charge. 
and then you're released and you go. Now, how easy would it have been when we had a conflict in our lives, something that was in our face, that was a little bit too much over the top, we say, I think I'm going to go back home. This isn't for me. I think it would have been really easy. Guess what would not have happened to Thessalonica? Guess what would not have happened to Berea? Those steps, those journeys, when you're struggling, when you're hustling, when you're putting everything in that you have, and it's not your strength, trust me, if it's your strength, you will fold the tent and go down. But when you have God's strength within you, you don't need any more than you have for this moment. And when you use that, the world will turn upside right. That's what Paul did. And that's what God wants you to do. I'm convinced wherever your journey in the next six days till we meet again here is going to be in places that you can't even probably know. The guys that have been here with me the whole summer, these guys are going back to Mexico. Different world. You guys were in Oregon for two weeks, three weeks, three weeks. You see how amazing it is how our journey and our steps can take us literally all across the world. Will we have courage? Will we be using the Bible? Will we be studying the Bible to get ready for the next time that we have the opportunity to talk to somebody about the good news of Christ? And for goodness sakes, when the conflict comes, don't run away. Remember that concern for others is literally the thing that drives us forward. Wherever your job, your career, your family, whatever it is that takes you, God wants you to soar like an eagle. He makes that happen. Let's trust him to do that. Let's pray. Father God, <coughs> powerful man Paul was. What made him stronger was the fact that it was in his weakness. He was made strong for what you did through and for him. Father, we're here. We're holding our, our hands, our arms up towards you, asking you to show us what you want us to be. Humble our hearts, Father, in whatever we do, whatever we say, we want you to be glorified. Father, may our lives be filled with courage beyond what we could even possibly imagine. Help us to turn the world upside right. Father, we want to do it in a way that is not obnoxious. We want to, as it says in Ephesians 4.15, just thought of it now, that we want to speak the truth in love. That should be our goal. Father, help these, these dear ones gathered here today, that they would share the truth in love. Father, there may be someone here this morning that doesn't know Christ as his or her Savior. These are just words that have not become reality. And yet that Jesus that spoke to his disciples just hours before he was betrayed, hours before he was hung on a cross, that gift called grace that was paid, that paid for their sins. Father, that person right now in these moments quietly can just at the very inner depths of their heart say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me from my sin. There's nothing I could do about it. The wages of sin is death. I have nothing to contribute. Father, receive the gift of Jesus Christ by faith. Change me from the inside. I confess my sin. I trust Jesus as my Savior. I trust who he was, the Messiah. I trust what he did. He died, he was buried, and he, was, he rose again. On that basis, Father, forgive me, change me, 
Use me by the power of Jesus. And if you've prayed that prayer in the quietness of your heart, you have been changed. God has taken control of your life. Now yield to him. Walk in the spirit. Read the word. There will be courage that will come from the inside that is unimaginable because you are God's property. Father, use us this week as you see fit. Protect us, provide for us, help us to put on the whole armor of God so we can stand against the wiles of Satan. Father, these days are dark, but the light shines brighter on a dark background. Use us in ways that are pleasing to you and that glorifies. In Jesus' name, amen.